Welcome to the Better Way podcast, brought to you by RNG Insights Lab, the legal world's first and only analytics and behavioral science consultancy. I'm Zach Kosalia, the co-host of the Better Way podcast and the co-founder of RNG Insights Lab. There has to be a better way, right? There just has to be. That's the question we're asking with this podcast. And it's a question I ask myself all the time, but it's not enough to just ask the question. In fact, asking the question without doing something about it is actually sort of impolite. And so this podcast is for and about those who are on a journey to find the better ways. And we're interested in highlighting all sorts of folks who are searching for and finding better ways to do their work and to make a difference in the legal world, in compliance, relating to culture and beyond. Hi, everybody. I am joined here with my co-host and colleague, Hui Chen. Hui, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I am Hui Chen, and I'm Senior Advisor at the Insights Lab here. And I'm very happy to be Zach's partner in crime in this episode and going forward. So Hui, the initial goal of our first episode, this is the inaugural, the inaugural Better Way podcast. Our goal was for our listeners to get to know us a little bit better. So you're going to spend some time kind of interviewing me and talking about my journey. And then in the next episode, I'm going to interview you and we're all going to learn a little bit more about your journey. But before we get there, we wanted to just kind of talk about what we want this podcast to be. Uh, I know, and we'll hear in episode two, I'm sure, that one of the things that drives you is having a strong why statement for, for things that we do. So what's the why for this podcast? I recognize that podcast is increasingly the platform people use. So idea of having this platform where we can explore um, questions that, uh, you know, challenge us, confound us, uh, and just share ideas about how we are trying to tackle those problems um, in search of a better way of doing things. And we will talk more about this better way, Zach, right? Um, but uh, th that's my hope is that we are going to, uh, uh, we're going to be doing quite some adventurous exploration here. How about you? What are your I thoughts mean, on that? I know I, I fully agree. In some ways, I think of this as sort of an innovation podcast where we are talking about ways in which we're trying to innovate and hack challenges within our own lives and work, but um, finding and highlighting folks who are doing the same thing in theirs. Absolutely. And we want to learn from people, including yes. all of you who are listening out there, right? So we want to put our ideas and other people's ideas forth uh, in this podcast. And we want you to chime in. Um, and who knows, we may want to invite some of you um, onto our podcast to, uh, to talk about you know, your exploration for better ways, what your experiments have been. Um, one of the things I always have found to be very helpful to me in my professional journey is to look outside of our little world and into other professions, um, you know, whether it's health and safety, whether it's, you know, public health um, and uh, aviation safety. You know, I like diving into those areas because every time I dive into something that's different from my from my own field per se, um, I learn an awful lot. So we're hopeful that we'll also be, you know, taking some of the journeys outside of our own little worlds um, and uh, see what's out there that can give us inspiration. 
100%. It's so funny. So I'm going to, I'm going to be self-deprecating and say that I can be a complainer, which is okay. Um, but I'm also, I think like an inspiration junkie. Um, I you are, you are find places where I can be inspired. And I, I love what you just said. And I, and it's something we've talked about before and that we will definitely talk about more here, uh, on this podcast is the places where we can find inspiration that are maybe somewhat unexpected. Um, and that's why it's so important to me that we make sure that this podcast is a place where we're talking about our work. Um, we're talking about organizational challenges, but we're not limiting ourselves to finding inspiration in some of the obvious places. Absolutely. You also, can I just say, I also want this to be, I want this to be fun. This should be fun. Absolutely. Um, it's supposed I, to be an adventure. It should be totally an adventure. We want people to come on this adventure with us. And I hope also that part of what we do is give folks, you know, ideas that they can take away in their work. Cause I'm certainly looking for ideas. Um, and I want to just underscore what you said. I hope that we figure out a way to use this to create a dialogue with people who are listening um, so that we can hear from them too. This is about as close, I think, at scale we can get to a two-way conversation. And I, I hope people will participate in that. I, I'm excited about that. So um, that's what to me would bring excitement. So we really do invite you um, to join us in this dialogue. All right. So the idea was that you would kind of unpack some of my better ways that you would interview me a bit in this first, this first go round. So. All I right, let's dive in. You. What, what do you got? What do you got for so, me? So I want to talk about um, the lab and yes. um, why did you start it? Tell us what inspired you to start this uh, search for a better way. Yeah. So RNG Insights Lab, um, I guess, you know, one of the things we talk about in the lab a lot is the power of storytelling. Um, so I guess maybe I'll tell a little bit of a story uh, about our origin. Um, so going back several years, um, you know, I was in-house working as a lawyer, but also doing work that was definitively not legal in the compliance ethics and risk space. Okay, and note everybody, he says not legal, not illegal. <laughs> yes, I was, just to be clear. <laughs> Definitively, not legal work. Definitively legal, uh, but not uh, lawyer work. Um, and, uh, you know, in that space, I found myself somewhat dissatisfied with the service offerings that were out there. You know, we had law firms that were doing incredible work. Um, and I had the privilege of working with some of the brightest, um, most talented legal minds. Um, and then we had consultants who would provide a broader set of skills. Um, but I was like, where, where can I find these two things together? Where can I find top-notch legal services mixed with a, a true multidisciplinary team that's kind of well-positioned to address um, modern organizational challenges? that sit at the intersection with law and risk. Um, and I couldn't really find it. Um, so, I mean, I guess the short answer is I decided to create it. That's that's pretty exciting. And, and you know, I, I want to talk about that frustration a little bit. We worked together at one point. You were my outside counsel and then you were my successor um, uh, in one of the in-house jobs that, that, uh, that I had. And uh, we 
we had sort of shared this journey with some overlap. But when I was when you were actually doing a lot of this innovative work, uh, particularly on data, that's what I heard about you know, from the outside. At that time, I was in my own uh, consulting practice. I heard about what you were doing um, in terms of data analytics. And this is something that I, I often talk to clients about um, is you need to have these data-driven program, have data capacities. You need to have, you know, uh, to be using behavior science in some of your program designs. And my frustration, both as an in-house person and as a consultant is, I couldn't offer those. I know it's important to have data capacity. I know it's important to have, you know, behavior signs. And it's certainly not enough for me if somebody just comes up and says, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm offering legal services, but, you know, I was a psychology major undergrad. Um, that's not, you know, that's not enough of an expertise for me. Um, and so you were able to first in-house. So let's talk about your in-house days for uh, first. So you started um, building a data analytic program, basically, um, in-house. Tell, tell us how you convinced uh, your compliance leadership, company leadership, to invest in people whose skill sets are not traditionally going compliant. So data yeah. analysts, programmers, whatnot. So... How did that happen? Yeah, well, so first of all, for everyone listening, let me just ground because there's, let me ground us because I think that there's uh, a lot of different organizational challenges that we will talk about and and the the opportunities for better ways in them. Um, today, or at least right now, we're talking about compliance. We're talking about the better ways for compliance. And, um, today. and by the way, I should also just say, um, we don't have all the better ways, right? Like we're not, we didn't create no. this because we feel like we're going to tell you all the better ways. No, this is a quest. This is a quest. This is a quest, a this journey, not the answer. an adventure, as you said, we're, we're looking for them. We think maybe we found some, um, but we're definitely very much on the quest. So in the compliance space, um, I think my frustration was in fact more than just uh, a skill set or a service provider one. It was that in the world of compliance, of ethics, of managing risk within an organization, I have felt, and I still feel often, that we treat it as a nearly exclusive legal, regulatory, and enforcement discipline, when in fact it is also a deeply human one. And that kind of realization or that pinpointing that was a big part of not only the creation of the lab that we have now, but also um, an important component of the work that I did in my prior life at Pfizer when I was in-house. Um, and so to answer your question, you know, that's where it started. Let's acknowledge that that this is more than just a legal regulatory enforcement challenge. This is also a human one. So what do we need if we're going to look at a challenge in a more human-centered way? Uh, and data is at the very top of that list um, because what we're ultimately doing is moving beyond policies and procedures and really trying to understand the people who are making decisions who are trying their best to comply in most cases, who are acting as leaders and mentors 
in ways that ultimately, and this is the key word, create a culture that shapes individual experiences and individual behaviors. And so there's really no way to take this sort of more modern approach to compliance without relying very heavily on data. So it started there. I also think though, to answer your question of like, how do you convince you know, a huge organization that this is worth worth investing in, there were a couple of components to it. One of them was, I really believe when it comes to compliance and managing risk, that when we use data effectively, we have an opportunity to um, deliver insights at a scale that old ways wouldn't have enabled us to do. Um, so if old ways were transaction testing and more traditional auditing or monitoring, a more analytically driven approach gives us the ability to look at behaviors across a wide swath of transactions, not 20 or 30, but 20 or 30,000 to look at patterns. Um, in addition to that, it creates efficiencies. Everyone loves efficiency. So if we can do the work faster and better, well, that's, that's a pretty easy sell. Um, and so I think that's part of the narrative too of how we how we actually made that case. This is actually a fascinating answer to me because I, um, in in my work with many compliance officers, I have often felt like I've run into three groups of people. Uh, one group of people is, are the traditionals. They don't do data. They don't do behavior science. They do the sort of you know seven elements from the sentencing guidelines. Um, then you have the group that's all about data. They're just, you know, that's a very small group, in fact, very, very small, but they are, they, they're really into data, they understand it, um, and, uh, and they're really making, trying to make very good use of it, and some have succeeded at really doing it very well. So uh, Matt Galvin, who is now uh, the Compliance and Data Analytics Council at, uh, at the Fraud Section in DOJ, is one of these, you know, he's a leader of that, I would say that prototype. No then there's a whole other prototype that's, that's say, says, we're all about behavior science and culture. Um, we don't do data. Many of the data people say we're data people. We don't, we don't really touch this behavior science stuff. Um, and we don't do sort of people, people and data are different things. Data is oh data, gosh, people is no. people, right? But no. you're the one who says, <laughs> you're, the, you're the only one that I'm hearing that's saying, in order to understand people, I start with data. 100%. So yeah. Give us some examples of how data allows you to understand people and culture. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's critical. I mean, so to the extent that part of what we try to do here is to share some of the better ways that we found. I mean, for me, big headline, um, combining a data-driven and a human-centered approach is, you know, the centerpiece of my journey and of the work that we do. Um, so one, so I'll give you a few examples. One example is when we are trying to understand behaviors, we can use data to help us understand how people are behaving. We didn't invent this, let's be clear. Um, we talked about drawing inspiration from other fields. I mean, this is what marketers do. You know, marketers are looking at data that tells them how humans are behaving, the decisions that people are making um, in ways that help them ultimately market products. I actually think we're taking that same point of view and we're using it for better 
<laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to understand the decisions that people are making, the ways that people are spending money within an organization, the ways that people feel within an organization, the experiences that people have had within an organization, um, the, you know, uh, whatever data that we were able to get our hands on for a particular challenge, we're looking at that data to ultimately understand, you know, patterns of behavior to understand what makes folks kind of tick, what decisions are people making. Um, so the two are, are, are so closely tied in our point of view. Um, but we also, you know, bring the two together because, um, you know, culture is such a big part of the world of compliance and ethics and risk, which is where what we're kind of talking about right now and where we spend a lot of our, our career. Um, and, you know, I think that Part of the challenge is that, you know, culture, for example, is an area where, I mean, we're talking about human experiences, you know, how culture shapes human experiences and how human experiences shape the culture around, you know, the people. Um, and we've we've made a misstep if we allow ourselves to define a culture or to measure a culture based on just what we see with our eyes. Uh, we've got to collect data in order to really be able to understand how a culture is operating and whether or not it's operating as we expect. And this is such a, I know, such a huge part of your point of view is we want to actually measure whether or not the outcomes that we're seeking are in fact achieved. And that's what science is all about. You know, science is about having a hypothesis and then testing that hypothesis and coming up with a protocol whereby we're using data to measure outcomes. And that is a big way in which we can use data in this space, but also in just about every organizational context to, um, to reach better outcomes. We reach better outcomes by finding out whether or not the interventions that we're taking are in fact helping us achieve our outcomes. So. So, so uh, again, every time, you know, in these conversations, uh, as, as you're talking, I feel like I could go a thousand places, um, you know, <laughs> from, from everything that, uh, that you said. So I'm going to leave that culture assessment out for the moment, only yeah. because I know we're going to have an episode um, with the team's culture psychologist to yes. really explore um, that topic. But for, for those listeners who are not as familiar with, with, you know, using data to assess, you know, let's drill down a little bit. Can you give a very concrete example what data you have used or you've seen people use to uh, understand or predict uh, what type of behavior? One of the examples that I love, and, I, and, and I'm going to... I'm going to preface this by saying that it's something that's in, in in earlier stages, so I won't have the end result for you yet because sometimes it takes a little bit of time. But one of the examples that I love is that we've been working with a client to actually measure the effectiveness of their compliance training, um, which surely will be a topic that we will talk about more. Um, if you think of each of these episodes sort of having a better way to fill in the blank, we will have at least one, a better way to train. Uh, for sure. And probably also one that's dedicated to a better way to measure whether your training is working. Absolutely. Um, uh, such a hot topic. Um, but we've been working with a client to develop a clinical trial um, to actually test whether or not the training works. And the way that we structured that clinical trial was really interesting because we said, look, there's sort of a traditional way that these things are being done. 
Um, you know, it's often sort of, um, you know, a, a, a company lawyer um, or company HR, maybe walking through a slide deck, you know, it's kind of got a lot of legalese, maybe a lot of background about the laws that are driving some of this, um, bullet points, um, voiceover, um, kind of what I sometimes call rote corporate drag. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it feels like we're just checking a box. Um, and so we thought, okay, well, let's, let's see how that works. Um, but let's also then try to come up with something that's more creative, something that's more interactive, something that leans into what the research tells us about the power of storytelling, which is something that I've mentioned. And let's compare the two. Um, and then we thought, well, in addition to just comparing one way of doing it versus another, let's also then add a couple of additional interventions in there. So let's see, again, we're trying to think like a scientist being creative and curious. Um, we thought, well, what if we put a message from the CEO at the beginning of the training? Um, let's see how that might impact things. Now, of course, part of that also is then measuring how people feel about the CEO, uh, because that could have a meaningful impact on whether or not that's an effective intervention. Um, and then we also thought, well, what if in addition to that, we put at the end, uh, and this is pulling from the behavioral science you know, literature, at the end, we put a what's called a, a saying is believing exercise, where instead of folks having to like fill out, um, you know, a, a knowledge check alone, they actually had to do an exercise where they would write a letter. No one would actually get it, it wouldn't be sent, but they would have to go through the exercise of writing a letter to a colleague explaining to them why this training was important, the key elements, what they what the takeaway was and what they hope um, their colleague would get out of it. And we said, okay, let's just, we're being curious, we're looking for different ways. And then we go about putting together a protocol to test it. So we're gonna establish baseline understanding of the concepts in the training. We're gonna then give the training with all these different um, uh, kind of cohorts. Uh, we're gonna do some measurement of the outcomes during the training. We're gonna do them three, six and 12 months out. And then look and see were the outcomes achieved were the messages retained over time? Um, at what point in time did we start to lose some of those key messages? And again, you know, there's just this is just one example, but it's an approach to compliance that I feel like is grossly underutilized. And that is actual measurement of whether or not the things that we're doing are having the intended impact. Now, if I go into that feel like we're planning out future episodes as Seriously, we, talk, we should right? we, yeah. we can start talking about how does one um, design these experimental protocols um, how do you specify your goals and how do you run control groups and consistent protocols so that you actually have a defensible basis for the for these uh, experiments that that uh, you might want to run we do have to wrap up despite our desire to keep talking uh, but we cannot leave this episode without getting an introduction to this team that uh, you have built here at the lab, Zach. I, I, I can say in the couple of months that I have, I have joined, this is really, truly a remarkable team. So please, you know, if you can spend just a few minutes, uh, give all of us a sense of who they are and what they bring to the yeah. work at the lab. Yeah, of course. And we're going to meet them in short order, I'm sure, uh, in future episodes. But 
Um, one of the real innovations of the lab, one of our better ways is the team, you know, making a team, building a team that doesn't look like a team that you might see at any law firm um, and that you might not see tackling this work. Uh, and so we have um, Dr. Caitlin Handron, who is a PhD cultural psychologist. She studied at Stanford. Uh, we have um, uh, Natish Upadia, who is our director of behavioral insights. He's got a background in innovation and user-centered design, and he's a behavioral scientist who studied at the London School of Economics. We have um, three new hires who are starting, which include kind of creative business-minded consultants, data analytics experts, visualization um, uh, experts. Uh, we have two seconded lawyers from Ropes and Gray, Leah Dowd and Jeff Irwin, um, who uh, we're so lucky to have as a kind of connection to the firm, but also because they're incredibly talented. Importantly, um, uh, but, but finally, we have Amanda Rod, who is the co-founder and co-leader of the lab. Um, this has been kind of our baby uh, for a number of years. Uh, and we're so happy to have so many other people be a part of it now. Um, but this is, uh, the lab is very much um, the result of um, years worth of work and partnership and collaboration uh, between Amanda and I. And I look forward to having her on a future episode so she can tell kind of her origin story and how the two of us came together to ultimately um, build this lab. She also is one of the most brilliant lawyers that I've ever had the good fortune to work with um, and one of the kindest uh, people that I uh, have ever gotten to know and a dear friend. So I am looking forward to bringing her on this podcast as well. I have to say, I've been part of this team now for a couple of months and it's just extraordinary. And I just so appreciate um, the expertise that everybody you know brings. And, and we will in be introducing them to you one by one um, in future episodes. Um, and, and I think you, know, you would be equally amazed um, at what they all have to offer. I think we're now at the time where we need to ask you to uh, help us wrap up with uh, some guiding principles that the listeners can take away. Oh, wow. So the guiding principles, my three C's of my guiding principles um, to, to, to kind of having a successful journey to finding better ways. Uh, the first is be curious. You know, we talk a lot within the lab about the power of thinking, not like a lawyer, uh, but thinking like, a scientist. And I think that that starts with a sense of curiosity. Um, how could we do this better? Might there be a better way? What if? Uh, so guiding principle number one is be curious. Um, number two, which is very related, is to be critical. And I don't think that that's being critical in a negative way. I think it's being open to the idea that the way that we've always done it, um, the way that you've seen it done, isn't necessarily the best way. Uh, and uh, be on the lookout for signals that maybe maybe that there, there there is a better way. And then the the third is to be courageous because as I said, if it's impolite at the outset, if it's impolite to identify a better way um, or a broken process um, or a way of doing things that isn't working um, and not do anything about it, I think that the opposite end of that is it's courageous to actually speak up and to come up with ideas. I always say at the end of the day, we want this multidisciplinary team with all of these different skill sets. But what's often most important to me in building any team is just having a group of people who show up with ideas. And I think it's really courageous when you do that. 
not just identifying a problem, not just identifying an opportunity for a better way, but coming up with a potential solution. That's awesome. So curiosity, curiosity. critical thinking, critical. and courage. Yes. The three C's. Um, so I think we're coming up on our time when it's time for doing these um, Prost questionnaires. Um, so Zach, do you want to explain a little bit about uh, how what what those are and yes. why we want to do this? Yes. So I, you know, I said at the outset that I wanted to make sure that this was fun. Um, uh, want to make sure that the work that we do and the podcast that we put out there is not kind of rote and corporate. Um, and so we thought, well, how can we get to know our guests a little bit better? And so rather than come up with a better way, we just stole one from a bunch of other people, um, which by the way, is a pretty good strategy uh you know if it's not broke don't fix it uh if you don't need a better way don't find one and we didn't think we did uh so uh inspired by proust inspired by bernard pivot inspired by uh james lipton um and inspired by i think vanity fair magazine does this too uh we've created our own sort of standard questionnaire that we'll ask all of our guests and i guess i am the first person who We'll answer the questionnaire. So let's do well, it. As one of the founders of the lab, you get to go first. So here sure. we go. First question is about ability and you can actually choose one of two. So uh, question A would be, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability that you don't have right now, what would, what would that be? Or variation B, is there a quality about yourself that you're currently working to improve? So choose one and answer that. I mean, I think I just need to say for the record, the answer to the second question is yes, so many, but I'm going to answer the first question um, because I think that there's only one right answer to this question, and it is the ability to manipulate time. Oh, very good. Second <laughs> question uh, about mentorship. So who yes. is your favorite mentor or who do you wish could be your mentor? Yeah, so I'm going to do an actual mentor, um, a woman named Dr. Marilyn Root, who was a dean and a professor at BU when I was an undergrad. Um, I adore her. Um, she had a more, more of an impact on my life than she will probably ever know. And the thing that she always said to me that has stuck with me for nearly 25 years is find the joy. And I'm still looking for it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, question number three is about uh, workplace. So what is either, either what is the best place where you have ever worked or what is the best job paid or unpaid that you've ever had? Yeah, I mean, so my partner wanted me to answer when I used to be a waiter at TGI Fridays, um, but that is not gonna be my answer. My answer has to be the, <laughs> my answer has to be the lab. Um, how often do you get an opportunity like this to really build um, a novel business of your dreams? I'm incredibly lucky. Great. Okay. Next, the next ones are easy, straightforward, no choices. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do? I think at the end of the day, sitting down and watching Jeopardy is probably my favorite thing to do. All right. What is your favorite place? My home in Vermont, especially in fall with the oh, cool air. Yes. I want an invitation to it. Yes. Um, what makes you proud? Uh, what makes me proud? Um, I think what makes me proud is um, being authentic. Um, it's not always easy. Um, it should be, but it not always is. So being being authentic to myself, um, being being you know living my truth 
uh, as they say, is definitely one of the things that makes me most proud. What email sign-off do you use most frequently? It's always thanks, sometimes with a comma, sometimes with an exclamation point. What trend in your field is most overrated? I've, so I thought about this a lot, and I can't wait to see what others say. I think that I'm going to say um, over-reliance on benchmarking. I think benchmarking is really important. I think it's nice to be able to understand what other people are doing. But I think sometimes in the search for best practices, we actually miss opportunities to find the better way. I, I have to interrupt the flow of this questionnaire um, and say how much I agree with you on, on that because I have unfortunately seen uh, entire industries uh, being pleased with themselves mm. because they compare themselves with, you know, with each other and they're all doing horribly, but since they're all doing horribly, they think they're all doing great. Yeah. Um, it's so, so it's, so it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, so last pros question, uh, what word would you use to describe your day so far? Satisfying. That's nice. That's yeah. a very good word. Yeah, this helps. This was this was a lot of fun. It really was. Very nice. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you all for tuning in to the Better Way podcast and exploring all the better ways with us. For more information about this or anything else that's happening with the RNG Insights Lab, please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com forward slash RG Insights Lab. You can subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And if you have thoughts about what we talked about today, the work the lab does, or have ideas for better ways that we should explore, please do not hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening.